You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. In today's society, uh, music is influenced by a culture that I think is missing the relevance of real hip-hop. It came out of New York, it came out of New Jersey, and Oakland, um, I guess all of which is combining the two artists that are featured in the series. To be able to see artists that still influence the people that influence those who are influencing the culture today are important. So I, I, what I love about the series is that it keeps the legacy of two icons alive. And for me and the people that come after me to be able to see that and um, just embody the spirit of what they contribute to me is really important. Okay, so uh, we're going to bring to the stage Bukim Woodbine. Um, for all of you who have been living under a rock and don't know who he is, he's been in movies such as Life, Crooklyn, Jason's Lyric, which is one of my favorite movies one of my favorites. ever, um, Dead, Dead Presidents, another one of my favorites, um, Spider-Man Homecoming, Ray um, Riddick, and he was nominated for an Emmy for his role in Fargo as Mike Mulligan. Uh, so we're going to bring to the stage uh, Booking Woodbine. Put it up for him. Let's go. Hey. That infamous baritone voice. <laughs> how you doing? Good. How you doing? I'm awesome. How awesome. We're really excited about this. Um, and actually, this is the first guest that Gio knew before he came on the show. You can go to hell. You hear me? Okay. Tell you something. I've been knowing Bo King for a few years, folks. Great job. He's a man. good man. Great Thank job. You. Great Thank job. You. He played the character of Darren Dupree. Amazing, amazing job, man. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. <laughs> so it was funny backstage, um, you know, being around somebody as great as Bokeem, I have to be on my best behavior. So I didn't pull it's out my phone. Different. I haven't asked for photos. And he's telling us he's a pretty private person as he's videotaping him. And I'm just like, I do it every great. time to him, every time I see him. But he's used to it by now. Yeah, I'm used to it. At the bar, whatever, on set, doesn't matter. <laughs> just start videoing. Yes. Okay, so I guess... First question that you know is just comes to mind is how did you how did the casting process happen for you to become you know to play the role of Darren Dupree and did you get a chance to meet him speak to him find out you know what it was like actually being involved you know in the task force back in 2006 uh, I was very lucky in so much as Anthony Hemingway and I had just worked together uh, prior to shooting this two times, on two separate occasions, prior to working on Unsolved. And he just gave me a call. Mm -hmm. You know, he just, you know, gave me a ring. And at first I thought it was probably gonna be about doing some reshoots for something, but mm -hmm. luckily um, it was another gig, another opportunity. And I met Darren briefly. Um, he's still the custodian on the case, as it remains um, technically unsolved. And so we had limited interaction because, um, you know, you can't um, cross certain lines, I guess, when you're actually active duty and somebody's portraying you. There's all kinds of semantics that prevented us from really um, 
you know, rapping mm -hmm. but so much. But his partner, played by Josh Jamel, he's an executive producer on the project. He's retired from the force, and he was a very good go-to person as far as getting details um, as they pertain to whatever scene we're doing that day. Mm. Okay, well, you grew up in Harlem, right? New York. <laughs> so if you were to, you know, there's this life, there's this constant battle as to who was the best rapper alive, Biggie or Tupac? You know, it's the age-old question. And you're going to start that controversy I'm tonight? I'm going to do... You're usually the one that starts the controversy. I'm on my I best mean, behavior, USA Network. Well, I can't... Exactly. I can't curse, so let me, you know, start some stuff. What would you say? What would I say about what? <laughs> Tupac, Biggie, best rapper alive. Well, both are dead, so technically... <laughs> oh, sorry. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> No problem. Best rapper ever. Trying to let him get out of it. I just caught that. That's hilarious. Stop drinking. <laughs> <laughs> we had some champagne backstage. Uh, for me, personally, I'm going to go with Pac. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And not taking anything away from Biggie. It's just um, I would prefer Pac's style over Biggie's, uh, you know, for a couple of reasons, one of which being uh, the content varied a little bit more. You know, Pac would touch on uh, some, you know, more far-reaching, wide-ranging subjects, mm -hmm. you know. You are actually friends with Tupac, right? Indeed. And so um, I was reading the notes, and my brother, when he passed, my, they were in, back then in the 90s, they were playing songs at funerals. They played I Am Mad At You. You were in the video. Right. Well, so, so do you think if Tupac was alive today, given the political climate, that he would ha be a major voice in what's happening in our country? I've often thought about that, and you know, I think we all mature and change and grow, given the opportunity to live. Many of us reach different conclusions and change certain lifestyle patterns and become different people than we were in our youth. And there's no doubt in my mind he would have been a very powerful leader in the community. Well, one thing we're watching this show, what I love about, we always see Biggie or Tupac documentaries. They, they always try to highlight the beef, the problems. But this Unsolved, it shows the camaraderie, the friendship, the love they have between each other. So what, what do you think happened to their friendship? That was deep. He thinking. <laughs> um. Quite frankly, I think they were both maybe a little bit more impressionable than they were aware of. And uh, when you're an artist, regardless if it's you know uh, music, film, um, athleticism, whatever, sometimes you can be so focused on your craft that you um, you dull some of your other senses as far as to people that are around you, environments, this, that, and the other. And that's when, unbeknownst to you, you can get pushed or pulled in one direction or another and kind of taken off your path a little bit um, without even knowing it. And in that moment, uh, you know, uh, subterfuge and, um, you know, all types of uh, negative, energy such as the ego, 
people whispering in your ear different things. So I think that might have been a case of what happened with them. Who would you say was really the person that threw the gasoline on the flame, that kind of ignited you know, the, the beef between the two of them? Because from my perspective of watching it, that's kind of what I saw. The camaraderie was there, but then just through a series of misunderstandings and unfortunate events, um, they, it, Tupac got this idea that you know, Biggie was out to get him and just was, you know, went from friend to foe. Who do you think was the main player in terms of igniting this into the serious situation that it became? You know, I have my own opinion about that, but I'm going to keep it to myself, and I think um, people should take the opportunity to make up their own mind about that. So we've been privileged to watch seven episodes. We just heard we have access to two more, so we're definitely going to run home and watch those. Um, for the audience, they haven't seen those. But what I thought was captivating was this actual, in contrast to the, was that a, that was a movie that came out? Indeed. Okay, in contrast to that, this shows... I think three different perspectives. It shows Biggie's, Tupac's, and then the police department, which all co all co um, coincide. Collide, no, wrong word. All collide <laughs> and tell an amazing story. So it's really good to be able to sit fr sit front seat and watch all these three different stories play out. What do you think over the years with all the different people that have passed away? Why have these two deaths had the most impact on our culture? <sighs> It's a great question. Um, for a lot of reasons. One of them being that after they passed, shortly after they passed, hip hop in and of itself uh, started to gas out a little bit. Um, you know, they were, you know, progenitors from the South and uh, people from the Midwest, and a lot of people, you know, who brought some new energy to it, and they deserve to be recognized. But it wasn't the same. It was almost as if the air got sucked out of the room. Um, it, it's, quite frankly, I love hip hop, but I, I have to keep listening to stuff from the 90s, you know what I'm saying? Like, nowadays, hip hop is, it's not what it used to be. You know trash. I mean? now, I almost you know got, what I mean? I almost it's, got in trouble backstage because I was doing the intro to this, and I went a little further than what you just did, but I totally agree. Music is completely different. You know, there is no more rock and roll. There is no more hip hop as I remember it. It's uh, they were like almost like, um, with the risk of being culturally insensitive. Uh, you know, I hope nobody takes offense to this, but they were they were like the last of the Mohicans, if if you will. Um, and when they were gone, um, the vacuum that was left was replaced by a corporate mentality that really. Um, took over, even in the mindset of a lot of artists, their pursuit of material wealth, it wasn't just something to to rub, you know, your, your enemy's face in the fact that you have this, that, and the other, you know, it was a real, real deep-seated desire for um, material wealth, and, and, they, and they proliferated this notion amongst the youth that that having things and, and you know, um, wealth was, was you know, the epitome of success and personal achievement. And so after they went, the spirit to a degree, uh, at least in the mainstream, there's always cats on the underground 
keep the fires going or the, or the embers burning. But they were the last big mainstream artists, you know, for a long time who, um, who you know, to use a term from, you know, my youth, you know, kept it real. You know what I mean? So you grow you grew up in Harlem, eighties um, and nineties. New York was a very very different city than it is now. I call it a dirty Disneyland. It's a it's a bike lane. Um, what was it that kept you on the straight and narrow and kept you out of trouble? Because I'm sure that it was around every corner in Harlem. Um, for me, you know, I came from a good home, and uh, my mom was, you know. Um, such a great example of what um, can happen when you apply yourself uh, scholastically mm-hmm. and um, when you know where you come from mm-hmm. and when you have a clear idea of why you are in the situation that you're in in terms of economics and you know uh, you know the effects of segregation and um, Nouveau Jim Crow, and all of these different elements that come into play to create a situation whereby you, you know, she was fond of saying you're going to have to work twice as hard to get half as much. So, you know, that and um, she got me a guitar when I was 12 and that really just took over my entire focus. I just became obsessed with... um, practicing my scales and trying to compose music on the guitar. So, you know, I would hear the gunshots and all of that and, you know, the the madness and I would see it, but I was thinking about music all the time. So, And you currently have a band called (laughs) 13 Dragons. What's the name of them? 13 Purple Dragons. What's the meaning behind that? Why did you name that? Your your uh, band. What's the meaning behind that? I mean, it's open to interpretation, um, but <laughs> <laughs> clearly, right? <laughs> but uh, anyway, no. Uh, Thirteen is you know it's a powerful number. It means a lot of different things. Transformation being one of them, and uh, purple has uh, some would say it has royal connotations. You know what I'm saying? And everybody knows what a dragon is. You know, I so, was born in the year uh, of the dragon. You know. Yeah, it's a good year. <laughs> so when we look back over your career, I mean, we interview a lot of people, and sometimes when we get the sheet on them, we just go, oh, we're going to have to make that sound good. This is going to be hard. But looking at your career, life, I mean, there's just some movies that you've been in. Life, Crooklyn, Jason's Lyric, which is one of my favorite, um, Dead Presidents, Ray, and Juice. Do you, when you choose a film or a project to participate in, what is your thought process behind deciding whether to do it or not? Also, pretty simple. It comes down to uh, when is the rent due? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> I'm just being funny. No, um, uh, listen. If I'm in a position to um, be objective and and think clearly about it, um, I'd like to find things that. Um, uh, have a different. Um, uh, it's it can be interpreted in, in, in there's there's more underneath the surface than what appears on the surface. Basically, is what I'm trying to say. It's I like to play like if I'm playing somebody who looks kind of square and they're 
they're dressed in such a way that you would think they work on Wall Street or whatever. I like to try to find what, what it is about that person that is the opposite of that. And if it's somebody who you would think, you know, uh, robs people for a living, um, what is the, uh, the opposite of that? And then, uh, so I always try to find things that um, are different than what they appear to be. So, so going back to the, the, the Unsolved series, um, why do you think it's been so long without any arrest? I mean, there were so many people there. I mean, it's in Los Angeles. Um, a lot of people believe it's the police department covering it up, and there's just a lot of politics. But having been ingrained in the project now, friends with Tupac, and around during that era, why do you think that there's, it's been so long without an arrest? Because it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. That was deep. That's very true. That's wow! That, that wow! You didn't have to even go to death with that. That just crumbled mountains. I think Denzel said that itself. It's not what you know; it's what you can prove. Okay, and you just That's good, man. You That's just really did. Good. <laughs> I've heard you use the word assassination to describe the murders. That would lead somebody to deduce that, you know, Absolutely. like what they said in the first episode that there was the suspicion that it was a contract. Is that a personal feeling of yours that you can share? I, I think that when I called their murders assassinations, it was an accurate depiction in my mind. Okay. So do you have any, uh, outside of juice, you have any? Got these, these mics from Craigslist, got it, it's good? Um, the history you have with Tupac, or do you have any personal relationship with him as far as conversations or type of you know friendship or about the beef with Biggie and Tupac? Do you have you ever spoke to him personally about that before his his untimely passing? Yeah, he was you know very open with me about that, and he felt like it was um, unfortunate that you know brothers was dying literally, you know, losing their life because of uh, uh, marketing strategy to an extent in his mind as far as selling records and, you know, um, people behind the scenes who probably don't even know how to rhyme and never grew up in a challenging environment. They're making money, you know, um, off of this beef, per se. And... Uh, you know, there was a sense when we were talking about it that there was some some uh, genuine bad blood and negative feelings, but that he was seeing past his anger and, and, and had already made up his mind to figure out how to uh, circumvent the flow of uh, capital to the labels by bringing himself and Biggie and some other people together and you know, quote unquote, squashing the beef. Right. Yeah. To a lot of people. Okay. Okay. So they don't. They don't want you to speak. <laughs> so, so listen, we're going to go to the audience and get questions for you because I'm sure a lot of people want to ask Bookim questions about the show. But while you're in the audience, tweeting, Instagramming, Facebooking, and whatever other apps are out there not the apps that you're on, but the apps that we use for promoting movies, hashtag Unsolved USA. 
So are there questions in the audience? Who has a question? What up, y'all? What's up, Gio? I see you. What's up, man? Uh, Mr. Joaquin, man, pleasure. The show looks amazing. First of all, it's amazing. Uh, I just wanted to ask you, I know it's a slightly off topic, but can you recall where you were and what you were doing when you found out Tupac passed? Yeah, I was in uh, I was in my apartment uh, in L.A. and I remember watching it and uh, on the news. I don't know, I don't remember if it was MTV or it just kind of came on the news, and I I was just blown away. You know, it it was a very odd feeling. It just, it didn't feel real. You know, so yeah. Next question. Right there behind you. Oh, over there. Okay. Oh, Jensen Atwood. What up? Uh, appreciate your talent, Bokeem. Um, a question, Thanks. for sure. Uh, so Tupac wasn't friends with everybody. Why do you think you guys were friends? Uh, you know, we just got along. Um, Right away, it was it was it was no big thing. I tell this story, and you know, I don't mean for it to be uh, disrespectful or perceived the wrong way, but we met because uh, you know, a bunch of us were smoking a blunt. Okay, uh, I mean, as you did in the '90s, any of y'all that were around in the '90s, y'all probably smoked a blunt once in a while too. Uh, anyway, uh, we were smoking a blunt, and um, he couldn't get the blunt. It was the weirdest thing. It was like everybody kept passing it almost around him or something like that. It was, I'd never really seen anything like that before in my life. And I was like, well, hold on, y'all. You know, you keep missing pop, you know? And finally, I said, come here, man, you know? And I, so you messed up the rotation for I him. I did, yeah. And I, I, I gave him the blunt. And, get your shot you know, he wasn't quite as big a name as he became at that time. Um, even though it was just a... a a second later, he was everywhere. Um, but I don't know. I like to think maybe he remembered that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Any more questions? Uh, right Go ahead and stand up, please. So we've spoken about your relationship with Tupac, um, and we all know that you've been in this industry for a while doing amazing work. Um, I wanted to know if you could speak toward what people closer to the family and closer to Tupac and Biggie may be feeling now that all of these biopics and you know these great shows depicting what people think happened, what really happened, what are people closer to that situation feeling like at these moments? I can only talk about uh, one gentleman, uh, Mo Prem, you know, his brother is very supportive of the show and was instrumental in helping us capture uh, the accuracy, particularly working with Mark Rose and his depiction of Pac. And um, he's very supportive of it. And I'm, from what I understand, he's seen, he's seen it and he approves. Okay, okay over here. Oh, oh, we're going to get we you got a mic, mic coming. Oh. Okay, my question is this. Um, Ray was in 2003, right? How do, you look at, how do you look exactly the same <laughs> right now as you did in 2003? That's what I want to know. Black don't crack. First of all, I appreciate you saying that. Um, 
uh, I get I got great genetics from my mom, you know, and uh, I, I I haven't been faithful to it, but I don't eat as much meat as I used to, so I don't know if that has anything to do with it. I still eat meat every once in a while. I break down towards the end of the year. I gotta have some chicken, you know, and whatever. Um, but anyway, maybe that has something to do with it. We have somebody in the back. This question is for uh, Mr. Bokeem. Did Quincy Jones uh, have opportunity to be uh, to produce Tupac? Did he have that opportunity to to do that with him at one point? Uh, I don't know. As far as I know, no. But you know, um, I don't know for sure. I don't think so, though. Okay. We got one more. This is down guess. here in the front. We're, we'll come down. Well, since yeah, come down to the front. Say it one more time for the microphone. One time it's coming right there on your left. How you doing? My name is Travis. Can you tell us something about Tupac that you feel like you know that the rest of the world doesn't know? Tupac, well, I'm not sure. Maybe everybody does know this. But ultimately, he wanted to reach the kids. You know what I mean? He, 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 his ultimate goal was to get into the minds of the youth and change their perception of themselves, if you will. He wanted people to see themselves the way he saw himself, and the way he saw himself was larger than life. And he felt as though if everybody looked at themselves the way he looked at himself, we would eliminate so many problems, because everybody's esteem would go up. So he, he always wanted you to feel great about yourself, and he wanted to start with the, with the kids. So I have a question really quick just to kind of break uh, this up. We'll get right back to you. I just thought about this. You're in Jason's Lyric, again, one of my favorite movies. Yes. Jada Pinkett Smith was in that movie. She was close to Tupac. You were friends with Tupac. She was very critical of the film uh, that had come out about uh, capturing oh, their movie. relationship. I got this. Uh, capturing their relationship. <laughs> Go to hell. Um, did you and Jada ever talk about your relationships with Tupac? We never did. We never did, um, but it's because of her that I got a chance to meet him that first time because, you know, she brought him to the premiere of Jason's Lyric, you know, and when we were hanging out, she was a little bit like, mm, you know what I mean? <laughs> I wasn't sure if she was, she used to think I was crazy. I wasn't crazy. Well, in, was, in Jason's Lyric, you were crazy. You were a crazy. crazy. As hell. She it's literally thought I was like out of my mind. So when she saw the two of us hanging out, she was like, eh, I don't know about that, you know? <laughs> but it was too late, you know? Anybody Any else? Oh. Uh, blue jacket right there. I didn't. We're gonna go to you because you've been waiting for a minute. Hi. Um, did Tupac ever talk to you about the conversation he had with Maya Angelou? No, he never mentioned that to me. It sounds he fascinating. Didn't, because in her um, documentary on Then I Rise, they talk about um, when he was in a room, she didn't know who he was. And he was using such language. And uh, she went over to him and uh, said, young man, come with me. And they went and walked outside. And she talked with him a while about uh, history and uh, other things. And he started to cry. And he said it was a great realization. If you saw that documentary. Well, when you started talking, I thought you were my Angelo. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> 
out. Took the words <laughs> right out my mouth. My should have said it the first. <laughs> Damn. Just channeled it. There Come on, Maya. So. Right okay, here. Right Thank you. Yes, when um, you did the video, um, I Ain't Mad At You with Tupac, with him being your friend in real life, and then you doing the video, how did that affect you psychologically? Because, I mean, you was right there, you was going through a thing, and then Tupac Spirit came up and set the money down by you. You know, and then you looked up and bam, the money was right there. Pac's like, I ain't mad at you. So how did that affect you psychologically? You just took me all the way back. <laughs> you know, it was interesting because we shot the video in like, let's say March or something like that. I don't remember exactly. And normally the turnaround is like two months, six weeks to two months. You shoot a video, six weeks to two months later, it's out. So I was waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. The video never came out. Months and months and months and months. And finally I was like, ah, you know, whatever. You know, I guess it ain't coming out. And then uh, right after he passed, they put it out. It was really, it was the strangest, strangest thing, man. To this day, it still bugs me out. You know, like, why'd they hold it so long? It's, it's weird. It's a weird feeling. Anybody else? Let's do uh, right here. Sister Wakanda, take her to mic right there. <laughs> That's a compliment. <laughs> Let's go. You should fight him after this. Uh, <laughs> you funny. But, Bokeem, uh, my question is, if you could um, go back to yourself as growing up, what message or what statement would you give to people to move forward and just in their dreams and their aspirations that they, that they want to pursue? It's a great question. Um, I'll probably say, uh, don't be scared to spend time by yourself, because you're probably gonna have to do a lot of that at some point. Maybe not forever, but you're gonna have to spend some time by yourself. A lot of people are scared of that, so I would say, don't be scared of that. You know. Okay, we're gonna do three more questions. Okay, four, and that's the final number. Okay, my question is, um, I myself love the movie Life, and I also look up to other um, entertainers like Martin Lawrence and Eddie Murphy. How was it working with those actors when y'all on set? Did they uh, argue like they did in the movie, or? It was a great experience, man, um, <clears throat> working with those cats. I didn't talk the whole time we shot because my character was mute, you know, he couldn't <laughs> talk. So. Can't get right. Right, so. <laughs> Anyway, <clears throat> so anyway, so um, it was interesting to see how these guys, these are some of the best comedians in the world, some of the funniest human beings on planet Earth. You know, Bernie Mac, uh, Martin Lawrence, Anthony Anderson, Guy Torrey, Eddie Murphy. It, it just, <laughs> these cats, man. So, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't talk. I made up my mind I was not going to talk. But they took it upon themselves to like try to make sure I was gonna talk. You know what I mean? Especially Bernie Mac. He was like, "Oh, you gonna talk? You know, you gonna you gonna you gonna talk to me?" Well, <laughs> so I would never talk. And then uh, it was just a very uplifting, uh, uh, giving set. Everybody was there to support each other. But Eddie actually got me one time because you know he was really sneaky, did dirty tricks. He was like. Uh, 
Bokeem, uh, you're wrapped, man. You're wrapped. You're done for the day. And I was like, hell yeah. Blah, 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 blah. And then he was like, ah, I got you. <laughs> you're still working. And I was like, damn. <laughs> so that was the one time I slipped, you know. But yeah, it was a great experience. Anybody else right there? Um, hello. Whoa, this is, uh, hi. Um, since we're all here today to watch the film and discuss the unsolved murders of Tupac and Biggie, um, I'd like to ask you, um, who do you think killed Tupac? Dang, that was deep. I'm gonna hit you with this mic. Great question. I think what the show depicts is accurate. And like I said before, it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. So what difference does it make what I think? Two more. Hold on. Let's get somebody on this side of the room. Is there anybody over here? Okay. Is there a mic over there? Okay, there's no mic. They left you. Oh, here she comes. Hold on. We got to spread the love. Remember, guys, if you're taking pictures, please hashtag UnsolvedUSA. Please. Uh, how y'all doing? I want to give a shout out to all four of y'all. Y'all are the real inspirations for filmmakers like myself. But uh, this is for Bo King. I, well, she kind of asked my question, but it was like I wanted to ask, do you, was there any information that you didn't know that you figured out through the whole process of the uh, show? A lot. A lot of stuff uh, I had no idea about. Going back to that time, if you remember, it was a big splash and a big announcement in the papers and uh, on the news about them being murdered. And then um, after that, it was just a, a media blackout for a while. It was like it wasn't addressed. It's like it happened. They did little follow-up snippets for about a week. And then it's just like they wanted to wipe it off the, the, you know, the collective consciousness. And then, um, so what I found out was just how hard people were working behind the scenes, you know, unbeknownst to us, definitely unbeknownst to me, you know, to try to figure out what was going on and how, um, how many coincidences there were in the case. There's so many things that happened that was strange, like, you know, this person would have to be there at the same time as this person. And, like, you guys seen seven episodes. There's a lot of weird things going on and it's not even necessarily um human error or anything like that just f things happening almost like they were being orchestrated uh in some way that we can't understand as regular people you know that you know this guy would be here at the same time as this guy who knows him who's you know somehow connected to this person all this stuff it was it's fascinating so I did learn a lot. I don't want to spoil anything, but I, my my mind was blown and my eyes are open now, you know. I was going to say, too, you know, the first episode is great and it gets better. I mean, it shot so well and it, the actors, everybody just equally was amazing throughout the whole project. When we found out that it was, on, it was going to be on the USA Network, I was wondering if Detective Stabler and um, Benson would <laughs> pop up. But I can say, if they leave, you all are some amazing police. That was a real compliment, by the way. Yeah, we have a I question will, wait, right here. Before you Thank go into there, Bokeem, what was it like working with Giovanni Watson? Uh, Annoying, long, dry, <laughs> frustrating. Right over here. Hey guys, oh, that's what's up. <laughs> I definitely think this is a great show, uh, cinematography, after actors, all that stuff. 
But it's one thing I noticed. The music, what what happened to that? I feel like did the labels didn't want to do this or the family didn't want to get involved. Like, it's just the music. Some clearance you know, I was issues. looking for the music, you know? Yeah, I, I think there was a, a couple of things. One of them is that um, the estates um, might not have been so uh, willing to use some of the material um, for our show or give us the material to use, rather. Um, and the other thing I think was a creative decision on the music supervisor's part to an extent that I think was very bright, um, whereby she decided to make it less about the music that we know that comes from them and um, um, thereby drawing more attention to the story itself and utilizing other music to uh, help draw the conclusions that we, we want the audience to draw. And I'll say, just if I can say, having watched the movie, where it was a lot about the music and less about Tupac, it was good to watch this story where it told me more about the icons I love, so. It, it, Wavy yeah. sounded just like Biggie. He sounded very yeah. identical. No doubt. Yeah. Wavy and Mark, they did their homework. Yeah. Last question. Hey, how you doing, Bikini? Peace. Great actor. Love your work. Thank you. Um, I had a music question because, you know, in the whole, um, you know, when you think about Biggie and Tupac and you think about the iconic music they did and just how legendary their songs are, if you had to pick one Biggie song and one Tupac song, which would be your, if you only could pick one to ever listen to again, like, which would it be? And, and became the lady sitting next to him was in the California Love video. I'm not going to put her on blast, but... <laughs> yes, she, yes, she was. <laughs> she used to sleep with Tupac. Don't do oh. not, Jason Lee. He's, he's That's my are, this is not the That's studio. That's my friend, and if you know the show, y'all already know. We are with USA Network. We trying to come back. You hear me? Okay. Oh, that's crazy. Um, that's a tough one. I mean, I've been asked that before, and it changes over time. Um, because they're both just just so so talented, and that catalog is crazy. Uh, right now, I would say um, "Smile" for Pac, and um, for Big, I was I'm, I'm gonna go with what I said last time. And I don't I don't condone this or anything, but it's just the lyrics are so fantastic. I was um, <clears throat> the Ten Crack Commandments. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Um, okay, so we're going to have to wrap this up, unfortunately. The room still has a bunch of questions. I still have some unanswered questions. And yes, but you have show. to come on our show where we can really be reckless. Sounds good. Yeah, Hollywood Unlocked Uncensored. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you honor. all thank for you. coming by. Appreciate it. And thank, thank you, you, USA Network. Thank you, USA Thanks Network, for this opportunity. This was awesome. Good night, everybody. Get home safe.